Good morning, this is Steve Allen with a look back at some of the highlights of my early breakfast show of the past week. You can hear me every weekday morning from four on LBC. Uh, other stories which are, uh, are in the papers this morning, um, they're talking as well about uh, Alf Garnett, who's died, uh, aged 89. I did have the, uh, I nearly said the misfortune to interview him some years ago on LBC. He was a vehement anti-smoker. Vehement anti-smoker. I think he used to be a smoker, and then he became an anti-smoker. And uh, he was in our studios in one of our buildings, not this building. <coughs> and um, I'd had some, some people in, because mine was a smoking studio. Don't ask me how this ever came around, because even I can't remember. And, um, and he came in and went, cigarettes, and walked straight out the door. And so the producer had to rush after him and go, sorry, sorry, we didn't know that you were, you know, you were sort of at it. Oh, it's disgusting. So we had to get air fresheners in and all the rest of it. Apart from that, the interview went brilliant. For the Chancellor himself, but, uh, famous, I suppose, was, uh, was Warren Mitchell the for the character the financial services industry which he appeared to in have London, uh, every grievance under the sun, but fiercely patriotic. George Cole left £700,000 to her indoors and his children, but nothing to the kids from his first marriage. Carol Malone's had a bit of a go at Penny Lancaster. Do you remember I told you the story of Penny Lancaster? They started talking about it on Loose Women the other day, and then she admitted that she'd been uh, touched by a man as she came home from school one day and proceeded to cry through the programme. And Carol says, listen, it happened to many people years ago, but uh, 20 years on, she said, I certainly don't cry about it. I just get on with life. But uh, obviously, uh, because I think they actually tried to Alex stop Ferguson. about it. Is he, is he your Nolan sort of football to, manager? Are you going to show the sort of uh, so she did. It kind of dominated leadership the as a chance? Well, he was a brilliant team. manager uh, the of this club. club. He's also a constituent of mine, to, but um, he was one of the few constituents going out who wrote Labour. Somebody will be standing under a shower. Constituency for me to come here to United and the rest was just sit there thinking, thank goodness me, it's not us. Thank goodness, it's not us. Also, the secrets of Wonderwall. An 20 years on, the secrets of Wonderwall, 20 years on. So uh, we'll look at that as well, so plus the other stories of the papers, but it's, it's dominated by that news that came in the other day. 129 uh, dead, 99 critical out of uh, 300 really or something. So it's, uh, it's high, high death toll, the, uh, the sick demands. What, what, what I think sort of worries most people <coughs> is that it's so indiscriminate. You know, they didn't know if there were Muslims in this crowd of people in the restaurant. They didn't know in the uh, in the concert hall if there were if there were Muslims. There were children. Some reports said they targeted people in wheelchairs who were to one side. There was uh, it was a fifteen hundred seater, twelve hundred seater, something like that, and uh, people were in there just had just doing what they would do, and that's what happens, I suppose, when you take your. Uh, your eye off the ball. In this particular case, this must have been, according to the experts, planned for ages and ages and ages. It had nothing to do with Jihadi John or anybody else of that ilk uh, or Syria. This must have been pl- planned for months, months in advance. They said, I was listening to LBC yesterday and they were saying at least, you know, three or four months to make sure that everybody was in there. They think they're looking for a third team, I think, at the moment. I think they, they think there were sort of three separate teams of people. They've, uh, they've made some arrests overnight. Uh, some in uh, Belgium, because one of the cars <clears throat> apparently came over the border. Uh, one of the people was posing as a Syrian refugee, and this is the danger, which we said before, because you don't know the, these, the, these people. I don't know what, what version of the Quran they're reading. Perhaps there, are, perhaps there are sort of various different versions. I don't know what version it is that says you have to go out and murder innocent people. I just, I just don't understand that side of it at all. And so lots and lots of people are talking about that in the papers today. The people who are there saying just how dreadful it was. People having to do 
uh, what we've heard a million times before. You have to lie there and pretend to be dead, even though you're surrounded by dead people, to make sure they don't come amongst you and start firing indiscriminately. <coughs> I think in the, uh, in the stadium it was perfectly obvious when you watch the clips back and you can hear the explosion. First of all, they're not sure what it is. And then they uh, they hear it again, and I think then they actually realise that it is uh, it is an explosion, and it was uh, one of three, I think, suicide bombers. The SES uh, could be on our streets. They say as uh, as Paris weeps, and uh, <coughs> excuse me, they do ask the question in the paper today. They say, could it happen here? And the answer is, they say, well, it could, but it's it's a pretty remote possibility. We have some very good intelligence in this country. And so they're saying it isn't. But it's up to us to remain vigilant. It's up to, to us to make sure that, uh, that you do report things that are, that are slightly suspect. I don't think the police mind coming out for stuff like that at all. One of the bombers, they reckon, was about uh, 15 years old. Uh, the stadium refused entry to one of them, so that was fairly lucky. But the moment it occurred, they got people out as quickly as possible. In you know the, uh, the images that you've seen on the television just show uh, the agony of a city that's absolutely in mourning. I mean, it's just a, a huge amount of people. 103, 193 minutes of murder, that's what they call it, 193 minutes. And it was in four separate locations. You know, who'd have thought, sitting in a restaurant, I've heard people talking on LBC, that they were, they were booked into, the, uh, into one of the restaurants. Then the last bit, they changed their mind. It was an act of God, I think. Uh, the Frenchman with a gun held inside Gatwick. The armed police yelling, get down, as the passengers were was sort of there at the airport. They pinned him to the floor as he began chanting. Slightly scary. I don't know what, what sort of... He's appearing in court, I think, this, uh, this coming Monday. But the solidarity shown around the world with, uh, with France is, uh, is quite unique. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I don't think it makes a scrap of difference. I think it just shows that we're all united under the same banner uh, in the same way that ISIS seem to think they're uniting with God knows what. But uh, Canada, America, Russia, Australia, uh, here in London, Brazil... Poland, Germany, China, Mexico, Taiwan, all these places lit up buildings in uh, red, white and blue to show the solidarity. Je suis Paris. Vigils, prayers and tears. And it is absolutely terrible. I mean, it's, it's a fight that I think we're, we're sort of losing. I don't think there is any end in sight. I don't actually see where it goes. You're dealing with a group of people who, uh, who don't seem to like the West and yet uh, enjoy all the trappings of the West, like the mobile phones and the, uh, and the guns and the bombs and stuff like that. And yet, for some reason, they don't seem to like anybody at all, least of all themselves. So in this particular case, you know, could it ever happen here? Of course. Of course it could. It could happen anywhere at all. You've got no idea. I shouldn't imagine any of those people going into the concert on Friday night or people going out to the restaurant and got themselves ready. The last thing you're going to be expecting, uh, even in Tunisia, when you're lying on a beach, is some gunman to start walking up the beach shooting indiscriminately. But it seems to make no difference to them that they get killed themselves. They seem to think, somebody's brainwashed them into thinking that, that if you do this, you go to a better place. Can't imagine why. God wouldn't want anybody like that at all. I don't know how you ever convince somebody that what they're doing by committing an atrocity which takes away people's lives, innocent people, they've got nothing to do with it. You know, some of them could be Muslim, it could be children in that, uh, in that Russian jet taken down. There were children on there. They quite clearly don't care at all. They seem to think it's some sort of trophy. So you're dealing with a, with a mentality which you can't get round. I don't think you ever... I was discussing it with somebody yesterday saying, you know, we're never going to be sitting around a table with ISIS, are we? With them, you know, if they're all so proud of what they do, why are they all masked up all the time? So more on that in a moment. Plus the other stories in the uh, the papers. Harry met Harry. Yes, Prince Harry out, still with that ridiculous beard, honestly. Perhaps somebody's told him it suits him. And he went down and he met Harry Styles. And he said, when are you going to get your hair cut? 
And Harry Styles says, well, not any time soon, but when I do, it'll be for charity. And Prince Charles has been telling people to buy British. But uh, his, his duchy stuff takes in a lot of foreign food. I'm Steve Allen. More to come shortly as I look back at some of the highlights from my early breakfast show here on LBC. This is Steve Allen with a look back at some of the highlights from my weekday early breakfast show on LBC. Morning, everyone. What a miserable weekend, honestly, apart from the uh, the dreadful news from, from Paris. And it certainly won't be the last time we'll be sitting here talking about it or reading about it in the newspapers. It's, uh, it's almost as I said, uh, I think it was on Friday, I said... After the uh, the killing of Jihadi John by a drone, I said, everything seems to have changed. The uh, The goalposts have moved a little bit narrower now. And now you can get groups of people who've been radicalised, people who are convinced by somebody. To, I don't know what you would do to convince somebody. I've said it a million times. I still can't get my head around it. What would, what would really convince you to strap explosives to your body and then detonate yourself? I mean, don't... I mean... Perhaps they, perhaps they need a good hug or something. Perhaps they don't have any love. Perhaps they don't have parents who love them. Or perhaps they, they just seem to think that whatever somebody tells them is going to be true, which, of course, it isn't. It absolutely isn't. It's the biggest pack of lies ever. You know, you're going to be going to heaven and meet lots of virgins. Why would you want to go to heaven? Why would you want to go to heaven to meet loads of virgins? They must be obsessed by sex for some peculiar reason. If that's the incentive to blow yourself up, what God's name is going on in the world? But it's sad, isn't it, really? You look at them and then you, and you see these people. We've seen the hatred in some of their faces. And you think, God, you really must have a lot of angst going on. Really a lot of angst. But the one thing that we do is that we, we just forge ahead. We just go on. And tragic though it is, you just cannot let your life stand still. You cannot let these people ruin your lives. They'll be delighted the amount of coverage that they've got. I suppose there's probably somebody sitting there cutting out headlines, sticking them in a scrapbook. This is what we managed to do, you know, in a matter of, uh, matter of minutes in Paris. And then, of course, people say, of course, now we've heightened security. As if they're going to attempt something again within a short space of time. They're going to leave it a little while, aren't they? Like, nobody's, nobody's expecting Paris. You wouldn't have expected a football stadium, uh, a club with a, a group playing in there, uh, a restaurant and two bars. Why would you have expected that? You just wouldn't expect... And that's why. It's that element of surprise. So when somebody says, could it happen here? Of course it could. I'm not saying that the, the, the same weapons that they can get in France would be available here, but you can certainly get hold of guns on the street. I heard people talking the other day on LBC, and they were saying, of course you can get guns on the street. I remember doing a piece with a guy from Time Out, and it must be 15 years ago. And I said, can you buy a gun on the streets? He said, absolutely. He said, you can go into a pub. He said, 50 quid could get you a gun with bullets. It's as simple as that. Of course there are things available. I'm not sure if a Kalashnikov is as easy to get hold of in the Bulls Pond Road or something else. But if somebody really wants to do something, it's like somebody wants to break into your house, they'll break into your house. Somebody wants to steal your car, they'll steal your car. If somebody seriously becomes so radicalised that they are prepared to tie explosives to their body and stand there and pronounce something that nobody else understands a word of and then blow themselves to pieces, strikes me as somebody who's got some sort of illness. You know, you look at these sort of people when they were when they were targeting and they threw some hand grenades, didn't they, into this concert hall and then started picking people off. Well, I mean, I just don't understand. For what reason? I don't quite understand. What is the... Do you know these people? Did these people say something against you? Or were you assuming that because they were in a Parisian concert hall, they were Parisians? They were French people. And this is something that at one point somebody says they thought they heard somebody say this is for Syria. But to be honest with you, I mean, that could have been anything at all, couldn't it? 
And how do they know these people? I mean, these people are nothing to do with that. If you're interested in doing that, then you'd go and target the military. Why would you target innocent people? It's not going to stop. You certainly don't think that after something like this, France is going to scale down its military operations. Of course it's not. That's, that's, that's like giving in. <clears throat> we have the SAS. I think our intelligence is far superior to most people's. We seem to manage to get people into court fairly quickly. Didn't take them long to find somebody at Gatwick, did it? Who had a, who had a handgun. I mean, how stupid do you have to be? Quite clearly very stupid, but we just have to, we have to deal with it. We have to deal with it. You know, the tragedy for these people is that uh, they're going to be having a Christmas without their, their loved ones, and that's what's so awful about it. They'll never, ever forget them, but uh, they become martyrs in their own way. There's one woman talking about the, the Brit who died in her arms, uh, who was shot. She tried to give him mouth-to-mouth, but he then just stopped breathing. He was in there. And you look at the pictures inside this concert hall, and most of it is pixelated. It has to be, because it's just it's carnage inside there. And people are sort of crying out, and there's other people who are alive going, shh, don't say anything, don't say anything. I mean, this, this black Mercedes, which they're looking for at the moment, which I think they might have found, pulled up by the bar, two gunmen got out and started firing AK-47 machine guns from the hip. Just like that. I mean, and you think, but I don't think that could happen in this country. I don't think it would. I think, in, I think over here, I think having seen what, sort of, what the British public are capable of doing nowadays, I think we'd be overwhelming these people. But it doesn't matter to them, does it? They don't seem to care if they die or if they get put into custody. I mean, I was saying on Friday, I suppose there will be a lot of people who feel cheated a little bit by Jihadi John being killed as opposed to being taken and put on trial. But there again, why would you waste money on somebody like that? You can't deal with somebody like that. They're, they're, they're not in the real world. I don't know what, what hymn sheet they're singing from, but there's not many of them doing it, but they're causing enough, enough mayhem and enough misery in the world to get themselves headlines. Uh, we are, I think, in this country, watched over by the best. I mean, you know, when, when you ask the, the questions in this country, what are the chances of a Paris-style attack? Possibly, but unlikely. That's what the official line is. They say on the continent, arms can be smuggled in by road from places uh, like the Balkans. Uh, jihadists here can't easily source the weapons needed. What do the security service do about it? Well, Britain is the world's most electronically surveyed country, and our MI5 teams are the best at spying on suspects. So they, ha- they build up a database. Apparently, one of the people that was killed in France had a history. He even had a history of... Uh, of, uh, of somebody who could be a danger to them, and yet they obviously weren't watching on this particular thing. Uh, what, what do they know? What do the security forces know in this country? Answer, they know a lot. They know a lot. And at the right time, uh, they, will be, they will be using it. Occasionally, a lone wolf will slip through, and there will be somebody who will probably do something. We, we, we should never be complacent. We should never stand back and say, it's never, never going to happen, because it might. And that's why we should always be aware. I mean, let's face it, you know... How fast could our troops be mobilised uh, compared to Paris? Um, I think less well here than in Paris. In Paris, they were very, very fast. Uh, our protocols for armed police are not as fluid and versatile as they are there. We've got brilliant professionals, but fewer of them. And we couldn't mobilise troops quickly on the streets without parliamentary consent. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, so we'll bring Parliament back and uh, we'll just make sure we can... See, I mean, you know, they need to change that as quickly as possible. Uh, and then you have the question, which everybody else has been asking over the last couple of days. Should we uh, give more guns to the police? I mean, I think... I mean, I remember going years and years ago to Vienna 
and it was years and years ago. It would have been more than 20 years ago. And I remember getting off the aircraft for the very first time, and for the very first time in my life, seeing police officers at Vienna Airport with machine guns. I'd never got off an aeroplane before and seen people standing with machine guns, and they were all over the airport. Over here, nothing. You know, in fact, a lot of use of truncheons going to be. I mean, I think we do need more armed police. I know that they, they do carry a lot of weapons in some of the vehicles. They're locked in a box, and so they could be mobilised. But, I mean, you need to have people actually with them. I do see it occasionally, but not very often. Are we losing this battle, do you think, against radicalisation? Sadly, yes. Sadly, I think, yes. The internet, I mean, it's only recently we've been talking, and you've probably heard it on LBC, and I don't understand it either, the dark side. There's a dark internet. There's a bit where... And I was talking to some people in the building the other day, and I said, have you ever heard of it? And they went, oh, yeah. I said, what? It seriously is a dark bit of the internet. They said, yeah. I said, what, what do you buy in there? They said, stolen goods, guns, uh, drugs. You can, I mean, literally anything. Anything. that would be, And you think, well, why has this not been closed down? There's only about five internet providers in this country. Surely it can't be that difficult to close stuff down, can it? I don't know. As I say, it's questions, questions, questions and very little answers, I'm afraid. And I can offer you no more answers than you can come up with yourselves. You can read the papers and we can all be absolutely horrified and your heart goes out to these people because, you know, it's just, it's just the most awful, awful thing. When I first heard the news, I thought for some brief moment... Perhaps, perhaps they'd, they'd actually got it wrong. Perhaps it wasn't as bad as they thought. And then as it unfolded over the 192 minutes, you suddenly realised that it really was that bad for them. All they were doing was just doing normal things on a Saturday night. Like here. Normal Saturday night into Sunday morning in Leicester Square. You know, anything could happen. But it's just people going about their business. Did I see any police officers in and around Leicester Square? No. Nobody at all this morning. I didn't see anything. Actually, sometimes during the week, I do see police officers out there in their, uh, their wagons. Are, uh, are they equipped with guns? I don't know. It doesn't look like they are. So perhaps we need to change that. But the very idea that to get the troops out onto the streets, you've got to call Parliament back, is almost you know, like closing the stable door, isn't it? There are other stories in the papers, just in case you think it's sort of blanket coverage wall to wall. The papers have, uh, have done their, their very best with this. And they've uh, talked about the SAS. They've talked about, you know, people being more vigilant. We've just got to be more vigilant. You've got to report things. Christopher asked somebody earlier on, who was a Muslim, you know, if you knew somebody had been radicalised, would you report them to the authorities? And he said, well, after, after we talked to them, yes, then th- they would. He would definitely. Because it seems to affect all ages, doesn't it? Some people can go from being, you know, a normal, say, teenager to all of a sudden becoming withdrawn, going to the mosque more and more. And it does seem to be Muslim. I don't... Th- I mean, do we get other people doing this? I don't know. I know, I know you get sort of fundamental Christians and, you know, Roman Catholics as well who might be sort of a little bit far left of centre. But it does seem to me that sort of in the, in the Muslim community they've got a lot of problems that could be solved internally quite easily. Quite easily solved. You know, by people just being made aware and the Muslim Council of Great Britain have come out and said that they, uh, they condemn it. But it doesn't seem to make any difference to these people who've been radicalised. Why would they worry about what other Muslims think? They're killing Muslims at the same time. They don't care. They're not remotely bothered. Other stories in the, uh, the paper today uh, is the £200 million King of Crime. I'll tell you about him. He's signing on now. But the papers are suggesting, is it a con? We shall find out, uh, hopefully, this morning. We take all your texts and emails, 84850, steve at uk. As usual, typical, isn't it? You get a little bit of miserable weather, and it did nothing but rain over the whole of the weekend. So Friday it rained, Saturday it rained, and uh, this morning we're sort of relatively dry. 
But either way, it's just been... It's just, you just feel a bit down, don't you? You just sort of think to yourself, there's got to be something to look forward to around the corner. And at the moment, it's only a little tiny, tiny glint of sunshine. But uh, whatever it is, we need to hang on to it. This is Steve Allen with a look back at some of the highlights from my weekday early breakfast show on LBC. More to come after the news. I'm Steve Allen, and this is your chance to listen again, or even for the first time, to some of the highlights of my weekday early breakfast show on LBC. Uh, in other stories today, the flood warning for 1,500 people. Here we go again. Here we go again. The Thames at the moment, in uh, round our way, let's say they've changed it, is at its lowest ever. What they do is they actually pull the plug on the Thames, effectively, and it, uh, the whole river thing dries up, so you can cross the River Thames, where we are, in Twickenham, and they pick up shopping trolleys, cars. <clears throat> You'd be surprised how much rubbish is uh, <clears throat> sort of lying at the bottom of the river, and they sort all that out. But because of all the rain up north, they've issued a flood warning, a serious flood warning, to about 1,500 people. Just what you need, isn't it, before Christmas? Not. Uh, 40 years on, is it time for another helping of porridge? They might resurrect it. I thought it was good. Most of the cast, of course, aren't alive anymore, so they, they could resurrect it. I don't know whether the time is uh, right. Uh, the British Christmas toy rip-off we'll tell you about a little bit later on. The family of four killed as a plane crashes in a gale, and by God, it was windy yesterday. I don't know whether you went out in it. Seriously, I was surprised that trees weren't uprooted. It was really, I think it was the aftermath of Hurricane Abigail, and it was, I mean, it was really quite windy. I mean, really tremendously windy. Uh, one in three are failing to check their breasts for cancer. Uh, the flower girl who wouldn't let go. It's a cute little story. And in these in these last few days of miserableness and uh, and story. And if you read through the papers again today, you know, in, in one of the restaurants, the uh, the new girl who was working the bar in this place ushered people downstairs to hide away. I mean, you know, she was a little lifesaver and people were sort of throwing themselves. I mean, the, when, when the police moved into the dance hall area, they said, wave your hands if you're still alive. And that, was, uh, and that was how it was done. They, they talk about the people just being shot, calmly shot by these people who, who loaded up their rifles, shot them individually, people in wheelchairs, and, and, then, and then just reloaded and carried on firing. <clears throat> you can't really understand the mentality. As I said before, you've probably heard it all on LBC. I was amazed to hear somebody earlier on sort of saying they thought it was only what we were being told by the authorities. But in fact, most of the, uh, the newspaper comments were people who were there. I've never heard such naivety in my entire life. Uh, now they're going to bring in extra spies to protect the UK. 2,000 ex... Where they're going to come from, I don't know. We discussed on the programme yesterday, because it had come up, hadn't it, that the French can mobilise their troops fairly quickly. In fact, actually, compared to us, very, very quickly, we'd have to reassemble Parliament and then do a vote on whether or not we should bring the troops out. That's how desperate it is. But I think we're actually better protected. As it turns out, the uh, the French intelligence have been nothing worse than useless. They actually let one of these people go immediately after the explosion. They actually had them there. Blunders beyond belief. He, I mean, one of them, who's still on the run, this is Saleh Absalam, was stopped, but then released. He's been on their list for ages. They released him. Another one, there was a, a bomber who was waved into Europe, posing as a Syrian refugee. We discovered this on the boats, didn't we? People on the boats, and they said, actually, the people who trafficked them across, look, there they are, there's one there, there's one there. These, these people are being radicalised. But as I, I pointed out to Gary downstairs on the desk when I came in, I said, the thing that you're dealing with now, with these bombers, and I don't want to do it to the point of boredom for you this morning, but I think it's quite important, is the fact that they don't mind if they die. They couldn't care less. 
Whereas years ago, people would, would set up explosions and, and do things when we had this with the IRA and we had all sorts of problems in London and we had cars being checked and police checks in the city and out of the city and, you know, underneath the cars with the mirrors and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but they weren't setting themselves on fire. These people don't care if they blow themselves up. They're more than happy to do it. So obviously explosives must be deadly easy to get in Europe if in France they can get hold of explosives enough to cause <clears throat> damage and to kill somebody. These, these things must be... Are the, are the shops or something? Where do they get it from? Apparently, easier to buy a Kalashnikov in France than it is anywhere else. They just come in from the Balkans. It's easy to get hold of these things. Far more difficult in, in this country. But as I said yesterday, you know, it's keep calm, carry on. That's, all, that's the only advice you can offer to anybody at all. Everybody's worried about it. I spoke to... I was waiting for the car this morning and a police car pulls in. I thought, aye, aye, here we go. And it's, uh, it's my favourite WPC, one of my favourite WPCs, whose nan listens to this programme. And I was saying, you know, she said to me, she said, it's really quiet out on the streets this morning. I said, it generally is when I'm out here. I said, I'm generally about the only one, apart from a few people shoplifting from the charity shops. The bags that get left outside, people go along, they pick up the bag, sort out what they want, and then throw it away. It's, uh, you know, the, the influx of different people in this country now means that the, uh, that the whole situation has changed. Seriously, I mean, I've seen more beer cans on the streets of Twickenham, which is where I live, than I've ever seen in my entire life. At bus stops, beer cans, small bottles of vodka. Who are these people? Who's drinking at a bus stop? Answer, migrant workers coming in. They drink at bus stops. I mean, don't exactly find, you know, Auntie Annie from down the road standing there swigging out of a can of Stella, do you? And as I pointed out the other day, when I went to Lidl, all the people were buying in there, all the... the uh, the people who quite clearly weren't British were buying cans of Stella, like 20 cans of Stella. They don't go to pubs. They, they just sit and drink in bus shelters or by the side of the road. They just drink of just about anywhere. Different mentality. Different mentality. But when you look at the blunders that were caused by the incompetence and you see that they're, they're still hunting these people, you know what's going to happen. Shall I, shall I map this out for you? The man they're looking for at the moment, uh, Sally Epsalam. I promise you, they will find out where he is, there'll be a shootout, and he'll die in the shootout. We've seen it before, you'll see it again. What do you think they're going to do, take him into custody? He's not going to be one to be taken alive. It makes no difference to him whether he dies, so he might, you know, he, he could kill himself, we don't know. But it does seem that the police and the security services over there are just not up to it. What is reassuring for everybody is the amount of solidarity, people coming out on the streets around that restaurant where they just pulled up in a black Mercedes, went inside and opened fire... The, the people, so it makes you weep, the picture. The picture just makes you weep because they're all standing there looking at all the flowers that have been laid outside the restaurant. And that's ordinary people. The people who, who were killed came from every nationality. You know, every nationality. Whether these people were Syrians who actually committed the crime, ISIS have already claimed responsibility. So it doesn't matter because they've actually killed their own. There could have been Muslims. It could have been all sorts of people. Ordinary, ordinary people. People who went out there. We've since discovered that the girl who was hanging from outside the window was pregnant. Luckily, she was pulled back inside again, so there's a mercy. But the picture, for me, that absolutely does it is the Daily Mail this morning outside this uh, restaurant and the Parisians standing there shoulder to shoulder and this, uh, this sea of flowers in front of them. Uh, this was the uh, Le Petit Cambodge restaurant. Uh, many of the victims have been on the restaurant's terraces just enjoying a Friday night out, doing nothing. Just enjoying a Friday night out. Ordinary people like you, like me, like, you know, your next door neighbour. They're just ordinary people. And they went out and they showed solidarity because you don't expect that to happen. But don't think it won't happen again because it will. It just depends when.
it will happen. And that's why you keep calm and you carry on. You know, if I was one of these groups, I'd be thinking, right, let it calm down a little bit. We're getting all the coverage in the newspapers. Where are we looking at? Where are we looking at? Are we looking at at an area of sort of, you know, dense people? Are we looking for somebody to stand in the middle of Oxford Street? I don't know. They don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. You'd have no idea where they're going to strike. That's why. They might know who the people are and they might be monitoring them, which is the best thing you can do, but you don't know when they're going to do it. You just do not know. These things are meticulously planned. In France, they reckon February they were planning it from. February. To make sure that they knew that the first thing would happen here and this will, you will now detonate here. You will go here. You will go into this. It was all meticulously planned. You don't just sort of say, we're going to go and target a concert hall. You've got to go and stake it out. You've got to go there. You've got to have a look at it. You've got to see where you can get in, where you can get out. All sorts of things. It's, it's meticulously planned. And yet, quite clearly, we all sort of stand back, don't we? For, for a little while, we all become on edge. We all stand on tiptoe, peering over the parapet. We all stand there thinking, where, where, where next? And then after about a couple of weeks, we'll go, OK, that's fine. And we just forget about it again. I remember, I mean, you drive through the city of London. There were checkpoints in the city of London. I remember driving through. I got stopped. And, and the, the police just sort of just put a mirror underneath the car. As if I'm going to be sitting in anything, thank you very much indeed, like that. Uh, but they didn't sort of go onto the back seat or open the boot or anything like that. And I thought, a bit of a cursory glance. I think now, I think they have to do it. Because if anything else happens here, they're going to be saying, when did this person come in? Well, how come Theresa May said this was going to happen? And it certainly didn't. Because if you watch the border control programmes, as I said at the beginning, you will discover that we've got thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of illegal immigrants in this country who've been here for donkey's years. They just, I mean, because apparently we have a system, unlike Australia, where if you watch it on the television programme, OK, we're refusing you entry to Australia. OK, fine. Over here, it goes into a disputes procedure. In Australia, they go, uh, the subject was removed later that day and sent back to India, Pakistan, wherever it happened to be. They remove them immediately and there's a five year block on them. Over here, they just say, OK, if you'd just like to go and live in that detention centre for the next six months while we have a look around, and uh, the next thing, they've disappeared. You try finding them in a country of 75 million people. It's not easy, is it? Not easy. There are other stories in the papers. This one does dominate. It dominated yesterday, Sunday's papers. It dominates the papers today. And it does make you feel slightly depressed about it. What with the weather and, uh, and these people coming to terms with losing their loved ones, uh, with, with people who just, they really couldn't give a toss. They don't care whether it's a man, a woman or a child that they kill. They're not remotely bothered. I heard somebody the other day trying to justify stoning of women. Trying to justify stoning of women. I listened to the presenter saying, what, you actually think that's OK? Well, of course, if they've done something wrong, what? The stoning of Where are we coming from? I know where we're going to and I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Other stories in the papers today. The cheap fuel left off the motorway price signs and the bull set alight in a festival, which they have. They say it doesn't do any damage to the bull whatsoever. Riveting, isn't it? You couldn't make it up. You really couldn't. But it's in the papers. And the bad news is that the celebrity chef's tips on how to get crispy roast potatoes is more likely to give you cancer. And that is not the thing I wanted to hear today. Oh, and the new antibiotic alert and a bad story about Gemma Collins. In fact, you can't get a worse story about Gemma Collins, anything that mentions her. But the good news is she's got a TV programme out of it to face her demons. I'll tell you what the demon is. It's called McDonald's, dear. OK, end the programme. I'm Steve Allen. More to come shortly as I look back at some of the highlights from my early breakfast show here on LBC. (laughs) 
I'm Steve Allen, and until 7 o'clock this morning, this is the best of my shows from the week. Don't forget you can hear me every weekday morning from 4 until 6.30 here on LBC. I'm Steve Allen, it's early breakfast. I wish I could bring you a crumb of comfort this morning, but, you know, there haven't been any more... Uh, deaths, still the 129. It's just that the papers are full of, of now where, you know, it was all cocked up, what went wrong, pictures of all the people, not just in in Paris, but the people here in London, down in Trafalgar Square. They were holding a vigil down there. There's candles and flowers and everything else. I mean, it's just absolutely atrocious. It's, I can't, you can't raise a laugh out of anything, can you? Absolutely nothing at all. It's just, it's just so appalling that uh, other human beings can can do that to other human beings. And you don't know why. I mean, I know that we, we raised the question at why Paris, and I'm assuming, well, according to one of the gunmen, it's because of the bombings in Syria. Is there a news ticker just come up? We, th- we think there's a news ticker that's just gone up from 129, 132, they've said, dead now. 132 dead. We knew that there were uh, some people on the critical list and there was about 300 injured. So the latest uh, from Sky on the news ticker says 132 dead. That's up from 129 that we were quoting earlier on. I mean, either way, it's just it's 131 too many, isn't it? It's just 130. I can't I can't. I can't get a laugh out of it. I can't do anything. I can't think of anything that you can say about it that's going to make it better for the people who've lost people. To see these people standing outside this uh, this restaurant and this cafe in tears just breaks your heart because you think it could happen here. It has happened here before. We've had the blowing up of buses. We've had underground. We've had all sorts of things here. But the and the thing is, I suppose London's always going to be the target. That's the capital, isn't it? Don't you just see? I look round at the skyline of London as I go over the bridges in the morning, and I think to myself, that just looks like a target to me. It just looks like the symbol of everything you know they absolutely hate. It's odd, isn't it? They don't seem to mind sort of, you know, buying guns from the West and having telephones and all the latest equipment and yet show them a building that infuriates them and they just want to destroy it. You know, on that day that we were sort of watching 9-11, I mean, who could have believed that? I mean, you sat there in disbelief watching it. You sat there and you think to yourself, in this day and age, I can understand wars. I understand people going into war. I understand troops going into war. I don't quite understand where we, where we start with ISIS. I'd have no idea. I'm not educated enough to... To, to sort of try and work out what you could sit down and talk about at the negotiating table. I don't think they know what they want. I don't think they've got the faintest idea. They just want to cause carnage. They're just against the West. Yet apparently they don't mind sex with, uh, with children. That seems to be their latest thing, doesn't it? You know, young people. And when I say young people, I mean young people. And if they seem to be promised this eternal salvation, sitting on a cloud in heaven, surrounded by virgins, there's something mentally the matter with them. But you don't know what they want. How can you sit around a table and talk about things to people who have no idea? They're just bent on hatred. Just bent on hatred. Although the beheading thing, as you probably discovered over the weekend within conversation, is nothing new. That was going on back in Roman times. You know, that was the, that was the favoured method. But then when you see kids being trained to shoot people in the back of the head now, you begin to wonder whether or not the world has gone completely mad. And as I said yesterday, is there a God? And if there is, what's he doing Who's he listening to at the moment? And which one of these people is right? I mean, what, what do they think they're doing? Who are they, who are they getting their information from? Is it just one man sitting there doing an interpretation of what he thinks is the Koran, or has he rewritten it completely? Because 90% of Muslims that I'm hearing talking on LBC are, are sort of denying this completely and now worrying about the fact that people go, oh, Muslim, oh, that means you must be a terrorist. 
That's that standard thing, isn't it? You go, go the ignorance of some people, the ignorance of some people. But it needs more people to stand up, needs more Muslims to stand up and say, this is wrong. It's wrong on so many different levels. When you, but when you look at the solidarity and you look at the tears on the people's faces, people who've lost their loved ones, you, you suddenly realise it brings it home to you, doesn't it? There's nothing I can say is going to change anything. Nothing that uh, I could say is going to make it any safer out on the streets for the police officers who've got to go out there. You know, they take their life in their hands every single day. For that amount of money, you wouldn't find me doing it, thank you very much much indeed. I mean, now they've actually got this this huge boost. 2,000 more spies. David Cameron said 2,000 more spies. Where from? Where do where they get them from? Is there a sort of a training camp somewhere in the Cotswolds where they go, oh, we've got some... How many do you need? 2,000? Well, we can send you 2,000 over. I noticed that on one of the uh, the missiles, it's an American missile, it's bound for the stronghold. Somebody's written on it from Paris with love. I kind of think this doesn't really help the situation. I kind of think... That the more you bomb, the more they bomb. And it's tit for tat, tit for tat. And that's all it will cut. What do you think they're going to do? They're actually going to sort of watch people bombing, you know, maybe their loved ones, no matter how warped their sort of sense of love is, and then not do anything, not do anything about it. You know, we, we, we wrote this during the war. We put things on there, you know, with lots of love from all the British people kind of thing. And it's uh, and, and you read this and you think, well, I mean, I'm assuming they do get papers. I'm assuming they've got computers. They will see all of this stuff. They'll be delighted by the amount of coverage they've got. Delighted. But I don't think it solves the problem, doesn't it? I mean, I, I, I just don't think that if we go and bomb Syria, and I think we're actually quite wise to maybe step back and see what goes on with everybody else at the moment. Because, you know, I mean, I, I can't see anything... In America, I can't really see anybody going over there and bombing somebody in America. They seem to have enough problems with their own internal uh, students at universities who go around doing mass killings. I mean, they've got more problems with guns than we could ever have, thank goodness, uh, that it doesn't happen over here. But it might. It might. But I just don't understand how going back... I can understand the, the gut reaction, as you would, if somebody, you know, did something to your family. You'd want to go and, and take some sort of revenge on them. In the case of Paris, they're back bombing again. But all I see is other groups of people going, right, what well, you've carried on, but we're going to carry on bombing as well and they'll do it again. Don't know where. Don't know when. Johnny says, OK, I'll stop leaving my cans and bottles at bus stops. It's the pressure. He says, before Uber, I could afford the mortgage payments, cab payments and the tally man. The tally man, honestly. How old are you? <laughs> uh, somebody said, whilst condemning the, uh, the atrocities... Over in uh, Paris, we must be aware in this country of what goes on on our own doorstep. We must. We absolutely must. You've just got to be vigilant. I said yesterday, if you see something that looks slightly suspect, you phone the police. You phone the police. That's what they, the police are there for. They're there to sort of to pick up on these things. They don't want to be just driving around the streets looking for stuff. They need the public's help in every which way but. As I say, talking to my police officers this morning, you know, a thankless job. Mind you, I can't see anybody anytime soon bombing Twickenham, for goodness sake. The only thing we've actually got is charity shops. Not going to be much, much point of doing things like that. They want to do something that's got impact, and hence Friday night in Paris, with a country that's been bombing Syria, and they go, right, so we target the entertainment places. That's what they don't like. They don't have any entertainment where they come from. That's why it used to make me laugh. We get people going, oh, they're radicalised. They've all gone to Syria. And I think, what do you think you're going there for? Bowling in a Disney movie on a Saturday night? Don't think so. It's not like that at all. Uh, we found a bullying NHS boss. Actually, we found a bullying story this morning in the papers. Apparently, it goes on more and more at work. Bullying goes on more and more at work. It depends what you call bullying, doesn't it, really? 
you know, I think some people think, I don't, I, don't, I don't really know how you define bullying at work. I have heard of it quite clearly. But I just don't understand how you define it to somebody. What, what would be bullying? Would bullying be going, God, you're rubbish. Would that be bullying? Could that be seen as sort of verbal bullying? Or, I don't know, I can't think of, you know, I suppose on a daily basis saying to somebody, you're really rubbish at this job, aren't you? You really, why don't you just go and do one? Why don't you go and do something? That could be seen as bullying. Or failing that, um, I'll see you after work. Kind of thing, like a school mentality. That could be seen as bullying, I suppose. Or feeling that giving people, you know, jobs that they go, I don't want to do that. And they go, well, you're either doing it or you're leaving. That could be seen as bullying, couldn't it? Uh, you'll do- I was watching The Apprentice last night, this morning. <coughs> and I suddenly realised this is the dumbest group of people I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, one of them, they, they were painting the outside of a shop. And she's got a fairly smart frontage, this lady. And the shop was quite nice too, thank you. And, um... And they get paint on the sign because the wind blew and he was holding his brush. And so the brush went against the sign. And so her sign has now got splodges of paint all over it. I thought, this man's an idiot. And then you listen to them talking and you realise not only are they idiots, but they're sort of, they're fraudulent idiots. They've got no experience of anything. One of them, (coughs) excuse me, he, um, they'd taken on a job of cleaning. It could have been a football club's um, uh, stairs. And so... He said to one of the girls, uh, if, if you scrape up all the chewing gum... So she starts scraping up the chewing gum. Worst job. One of them just stands there dictating, and he's, he's going to paint the yellow bits on the stairs. And the other one gets out the jet wash. So they start jet washing, and the girl goes, I can't get the chewing gum up now, because, because it's, it's all gone wet. It just doesn't come up. You should have left it as it was. As anybody tells you, you get chewing gum on your clothes, put them in the freezer, freeze it, and then it breaks off. And try and get it off the other way. But, uh, and then it was so wet they couldn't paint. Ridiculous. This is Steve Allen with a look back at some of the highlights from my weekday early breakfast show on LBC. More to come after the news. Good morning, this is Steve Allen with a look back at some of the highlights of my early breakfast show of the past week. You can hear me every weekday morning from four on LBC. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. It's Tuesday, 17th of November. So the SAS, we're told, are going to get a £2 billion war chest to face ISIS. But there's not really a lot you can do, is there? I shouldn't imagine if you'd equipped the French police with, uh, with any more weapons, it would have made the slightest difference. Britain foils seven terror attacks, but there are 600 ongoing investigations into terror threats to this country. 600. You can imagine the man-hours on that one, can't you? Charlie Sheen is named in the Hollywood HIV scandal. He's going to go on television, apparently later on today, to talk about it. Storm Barney's on the way. They're all fighting over George Shelley in the jungle, which shows how desperately sad they must all be. And uh, three cups of coffee a day is the key to a longer life. Oh, and we found a big goldfish, apparently a foot long. Sounds huge. I don't know, 12 inches isn't that big nowadays, is it? I mean, if you see that swimming around inside a tank, I could cope with things like that. I've seen bigger fish, because you know that fish grow to the size of the place that they're in. We used to have goldfish in our uh, in our rooftop pond, <laughs> puddle, uh, outside, and they actually grow to the size of it. So, in fact, if you've actually got sort of a fairly big... Th- I mean, 12 inches is nothing in this day and age. You know, there's probably people listening at the moment that can probably look in their, in their tank and go, I've got bigger fish in here. So we had big fish in there, and they just seemed to get bigger and bigger. Never crossed my mind to take them out and measure them, but they've actually got, uh, comparing, uh, I think, uh, a 12-inch to a 2-inch. 
and said they've got a picture of a 2-inch goldfish and a picture of a 12-inch goldfish. And to be honest with you, 12 inches just looks quite normal to me. Uh, so, uh, so yesterday, <clears throat> as you know, we were all suffering with throat. Everybody was suffering with it. Uh, even poor old Nick Robinson was stricken down with it. And I remember thinking, and I said to uh, the producer this morning, years ago we used to have a, a newsreader at LBC called Howard Hughes. And Howard used to come in. He was he was prone to coughs and colds and sneeze, like everybody is in this business. Once one person gets it, we all get it. And uh, so yesterday it was my turn. And so yesterday I came in laden up. And I remember thinking that every time I used to see Howard sitting at the desk, he would lay out bottle of water, <laughs> cough mixture, chloroseptic, throat lozenge, everything to try and get over it. Because if you speak for a living... It's a bit of a pain if all of a sudden your throat starts tightening up. But in fact, mine is 10 million times better than it was yesterday. Because I went out and I was a bit naughty. I, I, I circumvented chemists all over the place. I decided to do a trick so I could get to make sure that I'm not going to run out in a long while of, uh, of sugar-free cough medicine. So I got that. So I went to, uh, to see Mr. Shah and I got my chloroseptic and, and I bought a bottle of water. And I thought, the one thing I've got to have with me, it's a bottle of water. Because yesterday there was a lot of talking, as indeed there is most mornings on the programme. And I thought, I'm determined to make sure that I get through it without coughing. But occasionally, so I, I can now see where, where the button is. So if I go... It'll work like that, OK? You won't notice any difference at home. just means that you won't have to sort of suffer with it at all. Uh, so, uh, again, this morning, they're talking about the atrocities in Paris. They're talking about how we can stop it here. I'm still not entirely convinced by Therese May and, and, and what she's been saying about we're going to be tightening up on this and tightening up on that. I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. I think if somebody's going to do something <clears throat> to this country, they're going to do it. Whether we, you know, because they just they just don't have the man power to be able to stop things like this. They couldn't stop it in Paris. They didn't have the faintest idea. Although if you start believing some of the stories, some of the places were actually given a warning. Some of the places were given a warning. Apparently the dance hall was given a warning some time ago. And, uh, and people go, oh yes, we now have to do it. Every time we have a disaster like this, and this was on such an epic scale, I don't think I've been as moved by this as I have by some of the other events that have uh, taken place around the world. And, and we can't do anything about it. We, can't, we, we have no idea when they're going to strike. When they struck at the Knightsbridge uh, barracks some years ago, that was the sort of carnage that we hadn't expected to see in London. And when you see this in Paris, do you think, could they have done anything to prevent it? The answer is no, they couldn't. They, they, can, they can motivate themselves afterwards. <clears throat> so that's why the idea the SAS are going to get two billion pounds of war chest to fight it. I thought we were scaling back on the army. One minute they're, they're cutting back left, right and centre. The next minute they're cutting the police force back. So you're now getting less bobbies on the beat. I've been reading in various newspapers over the last few months, uh, at least six months, of uh, chief police officers, the length and breadth of the land, saying you won't be seeing bobbies on the beat very shortly. They just won't be. They don't have the manpower. They do not have them. They're closing police stations left, right and centre. There is no police station down the road from me in Teddington. There is no police station in Sunbury. All these places, you know, used to have little police stations that could operate. Now it's all concentrating on Richmond and Twickenham. I think Richmond sold their last police station, so they've moved into a place around by the station, and it's now going to be luxury flats. And you think, I'd rather see Bobby's on the beat... I'm sure that they would actually be out there doing the policing that they, they were trained for, as opposed to sitting there having to push pens about over pieces of paper. The one thing that takes all the time in the police force nowadays is, is the pen pushing. That's the thing that takes the time. When you arrest somebody, you've got to take them back, you've got to charge. It's all got to be written out or put on the computer. It takes time. 
We don't need that. I'd rather see police officers out on the beat. I'm sure here in London, all the, all the coppers that listen to this programme would much rather be out there than sitting there signing this and putting this off and taking photographs and doing all the usual baloney. You know, they don't need to do it. I'd rather see them out there and somebody else doing it back at base. But uh, that's probably a long way off at the moment. So the 600 ongoing investigations into terror threats. 600 investigations. Dear God in heaven. And they're now letting loads more people in who probably won't be checked as securely as we think we want them to be checked. Charlie Sheen has been named in this Hollywood HIV scandal. Uh, He claims to have slept with more than 5,000 women, which seems... You know, I mean, I suppose you could work that out, couldn't you? If Charlie Sheen, I don't know how old Charlie Sheen is, but just assuming that he maybe has one one woman every two days, or just, just say, three a week, and it wouldn't be beyond the bounds of possibility for somebody who was particularly successful to have sex with three people in the course of a week. <laughs> of course, I'm not even speaking on behalf of myself. I find it far too depressing. So just imagine, so that would be 12 a month, so that's 144 a year. You know, which would be pretty conservative. I reckon you could find people going out to clubs who, every time they go out to a club, would be looking to pull. I would think so. I don't think people... I know it seems a bit naff, and probably people of my age sound really fuddy-duddy and old, but people don't go out to a club to have a dance now. They're going out there to pick up. That's what people go there for. That's why, if you... I was watching a documentary on the television this morning, not for too long, I found it very depressing, of, uh, of people who go on to dating websites, and all they did was type in Escort in Leeds thousands thousands it's the biggest growth business everybody you know advertising from i think 20 quid up to a thousand pounds to spend the night with a porn star it's become the it's become the big business it's become the thing that most people access on the internet terribly depressing isn't it really when i thought when the internet first started and i'm old enough to remember when it first started that'd be the last thing i thought you'd be looking for i'd be finding out what the inside of the pyramids look like I'd be finding out, you know, how many how many cockles and mussels they sell down in Whitstable. Why are Whitstable oysters better than anybody else? That'd be the stupid thing I'd be looking for. And then nowadays, it's a case of, oh look, here's another pop star, rock star, actor, actress who's disporting themselves on the internet and showing bits of their body. James Hewitt is the latest one to do it. He's done it before, but this time he's gone onto some sort of dating website where apparently you have to show your body off to people. And I suppose they then decide, based on what they see, whether they like you or not. That's why you'll never see me on a dating site. I think it's far too depressing. There's no no point in knowing the answer in advance. You get my drift? Uh, So yesterday, uh, it it was actually not a bad day. It was slightly overcast. But it was an okay kind of day. And I encountered something which I I really didn't think I was going to. And I wasn't sure whether I was was going to say something. I'm in the queue at Marks and Spencers. And in front of me are probably uh, six people. And then there's a lady who I've seen in there before. And then there's uh, an old man. And then there's a blonde lady, then there's me, and behind me there's a man who's probably about 65, 70, and it's obviously his daughter's baby because he's pushing the pushchair. There's nobody else around, so it's obviously a case of, you know, I mean, quite clearly wasn't his child. It was quite clearly, you know, obviously the, uh, the daughter's. And uh, the old man who's in front of the blonde woman who's in front of me uh, is looking for chocolate. So we're all standing in the queue to get to the tills. There's about four people working. And um, and he's looking for dark chocolate. He wanted dark. He wanted a bar of dark chocolate, and he's getting a little bit confused by it. And so the lady in front and the lady in front of me 
are helping him. They go, as we're standing there in the queue, waiting to get to the checkout, going, I don't think they do bars of chocolate. They do, you know, boxes of chocolates. But he had to be dark chocolate. He was looking, you know, for this in, in particular. So anyway, at that moment, the queue in front of the lady who's in front of the man who's looking for the dark chocolate starts moving a little bit. We haven't, we haven't got to the end of it yet. The man with the push chair, excuse me, can I get round? He says in a very loud voice. I said, we're all queuing. He said, yes, but there's a big gap there. I said, he's just looking for some chocolates. OK, we're helping him. You know, what an ungrateful, miserable devil he turned out to be, this bloke with the pushchair. I feel like, you know, saying to him, listen, don't you have any humility? Don't you have anything that you can feel for an old man who's quite clearly, you know, a little bit confused? He just wants to find his dark chocolate. You go, excuse me, can I get through? No, you can't. So we didn't let him through. We made him wait. And, of course, then the, the man found his dark chocolate. And we're all still queuing. Meanwhile, silly man with pushchair, Mr Misery. God, blimey, honestly. Why are people so, so sort of awful about things like that? Why is it that they sort of, they, they look down at other people? And you think, why can't you do something nice? You know, do one nice act in a day. I promise you, it pays dividends, as indeed it will today, because I've had lots and lots of inquiries from you. After I did that uh, appeal the other day on the programme about the, uh, the save... Uh, and support black taxes. A few of the guys have got together, and ladies, sorry ladies, and uh, what they're doing is they, they, they're looking for your help. They don't want money. The one thing they do not want is money. What they want is blankets. They want blankets and warm clothing, like woolly hats or something like that, or socks, or a coat, an old coat that you don't use anymore, or a, or a duvet, or it's just something, just something for all the people who sleep rough on the streets of London, like they will do this morning, like they did yesterday morning, like they did last year and the year before and the year before that. And when it comes to Christmas, it's that one time of the year where you can seriously look at somebody and go, I'm glad I'm not in your position. And so that's why they they wrote to me just on the off chance that I could mention something for them. And I know that they've had a, a really good response because I said to you, and I'll, I'm gonna, I want you to get a pen and a piece of paper because after six o'clock, I'll give you their email address. If you've got something you can help them with, if you've got some old blanket, they'll take anything, seriously. And they will probably arrange to come and collect it. And then from the 7th of uh, December, they'll be taking parcels and distribution is on the 14th of December. They, They don't get paid for this. They're not doing it for any money. They're doing it because they feel some compassion. That's, that's what they feel. They, they see people out there like, like you do. You see people. It doesn't matter where you are in the country. You'll see people like this who, who don't have anything. They might have drink problems. They might have drug problems. They might have uh, psychiatric problems. But the one thing that we can offer them, you don't have to give them money, but we can make sure that they're warm and they've got something inside their bellies. That's all it is. So they don't want money from you. They want your blankets, they want your old jumpers, they want socks, they want, you know, woolly hats, scarves. You must have this stuff lying around at home. I know that you can do it, because I know that they got a great response the other day, and I know that you can help out, and I know that this doesn't actually cost you anything to do. In fact, if anything, you'll be doing yourself a favour by clearing, and secondly, doing them an even bigger favour, so on the 14th they can go and distribute this stuff. As I say, it's it's... It's something that will make you feel a lot better. So get a pen and a piece of paper. A little bit later on, I'll give you the email address. Write to them. If you can, if you can help, that's, you know, that's what they want. They don't want your money. They just want your old blankets. You anything like that. Got old coats lying around that you look at it and you think, I'm never going to fit into it. Somebody can fit into it. Somebody can use it. Socks, jumpers, old jumpers that you put aside. You think, I'm never going to wear that again. 
and somebody else can make full use of it. They can at Christmas. I'm Steve Allen. More to come shortly as I look back at some of the highlights from my early breakfast show here on LBC. I'm Steve Allen, and this is your chance to listen again, or even for the first time, to some of the highlights of my weekday early breakfast show on LBC. Jenny in uh, Leicester Square sends me a picture of the Covent Garden Christmas tree, which is looking uh, particularly good this morning. Thank you very much indeed for that one. Uh, the, uh, the big tree will be going up, I think, in Trafalgar Square very, very shortly. Oh, now I've logged myself off, which wasn't very clever, was it? And um, so we'll be looking forward to that one. The lights go on in Twickenham on the 22nd, which is this coming Sunday, and my Christmas tree goes up uh, tomorrow, Wednesday. Uh, this is the one that's going to have the thousand lights on it. And uh, I'm quite looking forward to it, actually. I'm quite looking forward to putting lights on the... Tr- a thousand lights? I'm a bit excited by that, actually. Neil, of course, also has a thousand lights. And on my recommendation, off he went to Van Hague's, the garden centre, and he got... I'd never seen a thousand lights on one string before. I'm, I'm really quite... I'm quite looking forward to it. I've forgotten just how, how good they're going to be, but I, I will watch very, very carefully as we unwrap... Let's hope they work. If they don't work, I should be in a, in a dreadful state. Uh, so Storm Barney's on the way, so it's battening down the hatches, taking plant pots off walls that could fall and hurt people. Uh, over in uh, Twickenham as well, Sandy's have had three new additions to the family for their festive... Th- they're always the first one with the lights up. Always... Stuart's always the first one uh, with them up. And uh, this year is no different. I'm going to compete, though, for brightness of lights. I've decided I'm definitely competing for brightness of lights. And then uh, myself and Jane Horrocks, this coming Sunday at 5.30, will turn on the lights for Twickenham. And so that, that signals, as far as I'm concerned, it's the start of the festive season. Although, for many of us, the festive season, I think, runs most of the year. And let's face it, we're looking for something a bit better this time round. I did tweet about Cynthia Payne yesterday. And the fact that she'd passed at the age of 82, whatever you could say about Cynthia Payne, whether or not it was a load of old hooky, whether she made up loads of bits of it, she was certainly very colourful. I remember her extremely well as she was a regular guest on LBC and I did a couple of uh, charity events with her. She became a personality on the chat shows. Nobody could quit. No, nobody'd ever met uh, a brothel madam before. I was, I was never sure whether we actually did meet a brothel, madam, but she was known as the luncheon voucher queen. There's lots of pieces in the papers today which are talking about it and uh, trying to unravel her colourful life. A bit like Lady Colin Campbell, who has a colourful life. How much of it is true and how much is fantasy and memorex, we have no idea. I don't even think she's totally sure. Uh, And then Charlie Sheen, last night, named as the man at the centre of the Hollywood HIV scandal. He's currently on my television in a programme called Men. And it's about him and I think his brother in a house and a, a little kid who sort of we've seen age throughout the uh, the series. And he's going to go on television. Uh, he's going to appear live on Breakfast Television today to tell his story. Now, I, I don't know whether or not he's going to say, yes, it is me. The Internet has been alive with this name for ages. In fact, from the very first moment and the very first time that I did it on LBC, people were writing to me going, it's Charlie Sheen. And I said, I said, yes, I know the name, but in fact, if you remember, I said, I'm not going to name him as yet, because I should imagine there'd be all sorts of other names in the frame, wouldn't there? But his is the one that's in Emerge. He claims to have slept with uh, 5,000 people. He, uh, a friend of his said uh, he thought he was indestructible and took no precautions. So he's, uh, well, we're, we're waiting to find out, but uh, uh, the Radar and the Sister magazine, National Enquirer, both claim that he was HIV positive. So this, if he goes on television today to talk about it, um, 
then this this will be quite a revelation. I can't say he's the big surprise name. I can't say that I wasn't surprised. He's always had a had a bit of a reputation. There's been a, a few people in Hollywood who've had reputations uh, in the past. He's just uh, the very latest. And 5,000 people. And what they'll want to know is uh, whether or not he was knowingly having sex with people whilst being HIV positive. So he knew he was HIV positive. That was the Rock Hudson scenario, which I've pointed out to you before. He was sued by an ex-boyfriend who said that he knew he was HIV positive because he'd been to Paris, he'd had all the tests, he knew what it was. And um, and if you remember, we watched Rock Hudson age before our eyes. He had to kiss an actress and they were saying, oh, he kissed, but knewing, knowing that he was ill. So he got taken to court because he'd had uh, sex. Now, whether or not... Charlie Sheen then had uh, protective sex with people. I mean, 5,000 people is quite a lot. How many people did he have sex with after he knew that he was HIV positive, if indeed he is HIV positive? Okay, so that one will come up with. Uh, The Jungle, as usual, there's one sort of NAF boy band member. He's uh, I mean, the other ones nobody's remotely interested in. Nobody's interested in in Kieran Dyer or uh, Tony Hadley or Brian Friedman or Chris Eubank or Duncan Bannatyne. No, it's George Shelley. So every single old tart in there is throwing themselves at him. It's funny, actually, because he couldn't find anybody in the outside and he's been around for ages. So perhaps he's just not interested, but goes in there and thinks for the for the publicity value, for the publicity shot, you've got to do something. So uh, so Yorgi Porter, who goes in there, but as I say, without without the makeup on, it's it's slightly gruesome. And there's also Fern McCann. I mean, you know, compared to any of these people, he's just in a bo- little boy band. He's a child in a boy band. Why didn't they pursue him on the outside? He's been available for the past God knows how long. They also say that Vicky Pattinson has uh, upset Fern by dating her ex. And so the uh, the quote is today, we'd all like a fumble with young George of the jungle. That's the best they can come up with. As I say, but he's, he's been on the market since God created shelves in a supermarket. And all of a sudden he goes into the jungle and three people are vying for his attention. And they're doing it because it's the only way they know to get publicity. And the sort of people here, Fern McCann and Vicky Pattinson and uh, Yorgi Porter, are known as those sort of girls. They sell those sort of stories to the papers. They do those sort of poses. I think, I think actually, Yorgi Porter has already stood under the shower. Remarkable, isn't it? This day and age, you know, adult, you know, girl, uh, formerly of Hollyoaks, or might still be in it as far as I'm concerned, stands under shower, gets picture in newspaper. Can't imagine why. Uh, and then we got all the cheating, didn't we? We got the cheating with uh, Philip Schofield stripping... Uh, on television, but of course it wasn't Philip Schofield. You you should have known it was never going to be Philip Schofield. The day Philip Schofield and you get any pictures of Philip Schofield with his clothes off is the day that we all put out a magazine going, Philip Schofield is king. But you're never going to see it. Uh, he actually used a bottom double. In other words, he's so embarrassed about his bottom, because I should imagine if he's got white hair, he must have the saggiest bum under the, under the sun, mustn't he? And so they, they found somebody who had a pert bottom. So Holly Willoughby stands there. And presumably the man who was doing it must have been naked. Because you can't, you know, he's standing there with, with nothing on at all. And uh, it was for, for a, a fundraising charity. But as I say, what, what it, because it's not his bottom, it kind of makes a bit of a mockery of the whole thing. You know, I'm sure that the people who watched this morning would much rather see Holly Willoughby stand there and get her boobs out than see Philip Schofield's bottom. Uh, more in the papers today as well about Madame Sin and her mad world. And it was a mad world. It was a mad world. It operated from Streatham. Streatham, the home of the prostitute in London. A friend of mine used to live in the road where they, they walked up and down outside. I thought we were back in the days of Shaft. It was absolutely unbelievable. Storm Barney's going to hit today at some point. 
Uh, 80 mile an hour winds, it'll batter the coast. All these people, and I would include myself among them, who always wanted to live by the coast. I've got a friend of mine who lives in Whitstable, and I keep looking at pictures of Whitstable. It looks delightful. It looks, it's like a little piece of, of, of Britain that they've taken and gone, bing, there you are, and that's Whitstable, and it's got a beach and there's boats pulled up on it, and you think, God, I'd love to live by the seaside. And it's got, you know, people go out and they have drinking competitions and people eat shellfish and it's probably a very healthy lifestyle. But it just sounds nice, doesn't it? Whitstable in Kent. It's a nice... Everybody else going, nah, it's a dump. <laughs> but there's bits of it that are lovely. I've got a friend of mine who lives down there. He's probably listening to this programme this morning. A cup of tea in one hand and a piece of toast in the other. But uh, these, uh, these storms are going to come in and it's going to batter. It's not as bad as we've had. But uh, what did we have the other day? Abigail. Now we've got Storm Barney. All named by you. Why Barney? Barney Rubble? From the Flintstones? I don't know. But uh, they say it's a Force 9 gale. Could uproot, uproot trees and bring chaos to the roads and damaged buildings. So you have been warned. This is Steve Allen with a look back at some of the highlights from my weekday early breakfast show on LBC. More to come after the news. I'm Steve Allen, and until 7 o'clock this morning, this is the best of my shows from the week. Don't forget you can hear me every weekday morning from 4 until 6.30 here on LBC. It's Lady Colin Campbell. I mean, a woman who, and I have to ask the question at the beginning of the programme, because 99.9% of you won't have the faintest idea who she is. And to be honest with you, I'm really quite surprised. I can only assume there must be something going... There must be some undercurrent thing going on here. Because anybody assembling a programme of supposed celebrities, and celebrity is one thing she's not, and she's not preposterous, she's just... She's clinging on to this little... She was only married for 14 months to get a title, that's all it was. She was married to Lord Colin Campbell, 14 months. Uh, As you know, she was brought up as a boy until they discovered she was a girl. Hence, she's just a little bit peculiar. She thinks we're all oiks. But there again, she's prone to saying stupid things. She unfortunately doesn't engage brain before opening mouth, but now they put her on there. Somebody on the team, because most of the researchers on these programmes, and especially on this one, would be of the age not to know who she was. So somebody must have put her forward and said, listen, uh, she's got a book coming out, because she must have a book coming out. There's no, there's no other reason for her being on there. She quite clearly is desperately poor and needs the money. So she, she's what they call sort of, you know, rich because she can sell something, but cash poor, because she's doing this to repair the, uh, the roof of her castle. But as I say, I suspect it's probably tumbling down around her ears because there is a story in the paper today of one lady who's got a big castle to look after, a big stately home. She had three breakdowns. She had three breakdowns, she said, because the worry of trying to find the money to look after these places. So in the I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, you've got Lady Colin Campbell. She's got a voice like that. And, um, and she's, uh, she's just a bit ridiculous. She thinks she's being terribly clever and cultured, but in fact, she just comes over like the... Do you remember the effing Fulfords we had a short while ago? They had a big country pile, but they were as common as muck. Common as muck. They just happen to live in a big country pile, and all the boys kind of sit uh, like that and had cigarettes on and kind of like you know do things. And it's all you know, it was all a little bit tedious actually. Brooklyn Beckham, we're told, has become his mother's rock. Oh God! I mean, I thought that would be Dave, wouldn't it? I love the way that they exploit every single one of the children. Dave surely would be his mother's rock. I should imagine she has teary evenings at home, don't you reckon? And Charlie Sheen, such a good idea to go on television. So he's been diagnosed HIV positive four years ago. Carried on having sex. In fact, actually, it didn't change his lifestyle at all. He said there's no way anybody could have caught anything, showing complete ignorance. Uh, he's been blackmailed, he says, to the tune of about £10 million. Uh, 
uh, or $10 million, uh, for people trying to keep it quiet. Would have been a lot easier, actually, just to say, I tell you what, I'm going public with it. Never, never give in to blackmail. It's $10 million. Uh, but uh, strangely enough, they were showing one of those um, 2.4 men programmes, which is very good. They are very, very good. Uh, the school who's banned the blind girl's cane in case she trips up. She's only a little girl. She's got a white cane she's, because she's blind. And they've said, well, that, you know, around the school, it could be a bit of a problem. Really? She's blind. Why don't you sit all the kids down and explain to them what blind children are like? That could make it a lot easier, couldn't it? Uh, ex-wife says of the... Uh, of one of the uh, the bombers that they're looking for, one of the jihadis, that he was a layabout who never went to the mosque. He was a pot smoker, and uh, and he drank as well. Comes as no surprise to me. I don't see why we should automatically assume if somebody's Muslim that they go to that they go to mosque. I know Christians who don't go to church. You don't have to go to church. You can still be a Christian. Why would anybody assume if you're Muslim you want to go to the mosque all the time? I mean, there are lots of Muslims who get themselves into trouble with the law. These ones appear to have, uh, when they raided one of the buildings, they had pizza and, uh, and took drugs as well. I'm assuming there must be some reason for their behaviour. I suppose once you take drugs, you become slightly delusional. In the case of the, uh, the, uh, the celebrities who were snapping up the reptilian handbag, I have to tell you, Victoria Beckham is one of them. Shame on you, Victoria. Shame on you. It's a handbag that they can cost up to about £200,000 because they're made of bits of the crocodile that is very soft. Apparently, the people at uh, the company who make them, it's one of the big designer companies, uh, take from under their chin. So it can take several crocodiles to actually make one of these bags. Why would Victoria Beckham want to be such an animal hater that she would go around with a bag like that? I mean, I, I can't understand it either. I thought she wanted to win us over. She's kind of alienating us a little bit. Uh, Black Friday, this is where you all go mad in the shops, wild in the aisles to buy televisions. And the adverts have started appearing. It's, what is it? Well, I see this morning a 50-inch television for something like 600 quid or so. They've come down in price phenomenally. I, I mean, everybody's going to be going out for, for Christmas, aren't they? You want to watch the Christmas films and you want to watch them in high def and you want to get the best television you can. But just remember when you go out to a shop and you see a television and the picture looks fantastic, just remember what you're watching is a DVD playing through it. OK, all of these televisions, they're all linked up to the DVD machines and they're playing a DVD. That might not be the picture that you get when you're at home if you don't have the right aerial. So uh, so that's why. Uh, also today, the um, the man who's uh, come to the papers and said that he was uh, Philip Schofield's bottom double. I'd really keep that quiet, wouldn't you? Not the kind of thing you want to tell people about. Nicole Scherzinger, good news, has managed to find a boyfriend because uh, she's been suffering from a dearth of publicity. And uh, and so, thankfully, God, thank Lord, she's found somebody who's got high profile because she needs somebody to latch, sorry, to go out with uh, so that she can have it. And uh, little Sarah Harding. We haven't mentioned Sarah Harding for a while. We have to mention her this morning. Her fans are obviously not as generous as we would like to think they were. But uh, she's managed to get some publicity in the paper. It's all, it's all good news. It's all good news. And Sarah has praised her fans. I think she means fan. I think it's in the singular. I don't think there's really anybody who's remotely bothered with Sarah Harding at the moment. Uh, she asked her Twitter followers to donate money to Luna's Little Stars, which was founded in memory of Luna, uh, I think, Petagene, after she was diagnosed with a brain tumour and died at the age of four. So she asked her fans to donate money, and, uh, and they did. She wrote on her page, Thank you so much. Uh, at Sarah Addicts for all those who donated. The grand total of £1,120. I thought they were going to say something like half a million quid. I don't want to appear churlish, but 1120 quid. I mean, surely she could have come up with that much money herself, couldn't she? 
They have got money, haven't they, and girls allowed? We know a couple of them have, but obviously the rest haven't. But then embarrassing moment occurred yesterday on the television when loose women uh, decided they'd bring on little minks. Minks! And uh, because the, and the, and the story was that a they've got a, a record to flog, sing, uh, to promote, and they've uh, they've also uh, got uh, other things like how much makeup can we put on our face? So they brought them all in, including poor old Perry Edwards. Perry Edwards looked like a reject from a bad forties fashion shoot that had gone horribly wrong, sitting there in glasses which a didn't suit her, b looked ridiculous, and c she was indoors. Small wonder that Zane decided to ditch her. And then I heard her open her mouth, and that was almost as bad as little Jessie Nelson. Little Jessie, who, uh, well, I say little, she's, she's quite hefty. And she uh, she turned up, which was great, because she's going out with Colleen Nolan's son, Jake. Uh, Jake, who was the one-hit wonder, and walks around the house naked, apparently, in front of his mother. But I don't actually see anything the matter with that. I'd quite like to walk around the house naked in front of his mother, too. Just so, well, anyway. So, uh, so, so, so Jessie turns up on the programme... Turns up on the programme. And when they announced it, they said, oh, I'm very, very good to be so Little Mix are going to be here. And the camera caught Colleen Nolan's face. And it didn't say happiness to me. The face did not say happiness. The face said, oh, God. And so, anyway, on she came, the girl with the face the size of a rugby ball. And uh, she sits down and, oh. And then and they do this sort of turgid interview where you suddenly realise that Jessie Nelson can't even speak properly. I feel a bit sorry for her. She's a bit gore-blimey. Apples and pears kind of thing. But she can barely string two words. It's just estuary English. Or in her case, it's just... Even Ruth was saying, oh, yes, and so, so, and so, so, and so. I was trying to correct her gently, but it went over Jessie's head. Which is surprising, seeing how big it was. Anyway, so they, they sit down. And then at the end, they start talking about, oh, the wedding. Are you saving up for the wedding and all the rest of it? And you could see how uncomfortable it was for poor Colleen, who's thinking... If she marries my son, <laughs> that's the impression I got. I could be totally wrong, but that's what makes television fun, isn't it? You try and body read people, and and I got she's going. Well, they're, you know, it's far too young to talk about things like that just now. And I thought, well, they'll need to do an okay deal. You know, I mean, Peter Andre does an okay deal. Talk about anything, and he's got his little column. That's his writing thing in Now magazine. He does that, and that's always very funny. Apparently, Lord Sugar called him smug. Peter got a bit bit upset about that. Peter, uh, Andre's 12, incidentally. I know he's 42 in real life, but I think he's about 12 mentally. And so he wasn't happy at being called smug. I couldn't think of another, another word, actually, to describe Peter Andre. I'm sure there is another word. I just can't think of it off the top of my head. I mean, oily, greasy, a uh, little bit insincere, a little bit... No, smug does it. Smug does it in one word. So I think Alan Sugar kind of hit the nail on the head. Uh, plus... Finally, at long last, somebody's seen sense of a little Yorgie Porter or Jorgie Porter or Jorgie Porgy Pudding and whatever she is. And uh, she's latched on to little little George Shelley in the jungle, as indeed we knew she would. But uh, she did the famous pose in the shower. It's now called doing a Mylene, which is where if anybody's going out to the jungle, it is obligatory if you've got bleach blonde hair and you can reasonably pass for something averagely sexy with a load of makeup on and airbrushed uh, then that's fine and they have to the idea is you have to put the the bikini on or in her case it's like a onesie one one sort of piece thing and then you lean forward as you're letting the water drape through your hair and you stick your bum out and that is supposed to look sexy unfortunately in the case of Georgie porgy pudding and pie she doesn't look at all sexy because as one of the female columnists said there she is she's stuck her bum out she's got her boobs out oh my god look at the legs look at the legs a total disaster you know why she's that tiny 
You could put her on a key ring. She's got no sex appeal at all, and the legs... Oh, dear. Maybe a bad idea going under the shower. Maybe a bad idea. I don't want to appear cruel on the programme this morning. I don't want you to think less of me for telling the truth, because that's what we tell the truth. I did tweet earlier on that this, this programme from four is for adults... If your mental age is of a child, this programme is not for you, I promise you. But uh, we'll also tell you in a, in a moment, uh, the drunk driver, who's been on television, uh, is an actress, and got stopped by the police, and was uh, a little bit three sheets to the wind. Plus, it's the end of the rood for FHM and Zoo magazine. There's a small altar that's been assembled out in the uh, LBC office, and uh, my, my producer was seen praying at it this morning, praying that there's some old copies of the magazine lying around on people's desks, like Ian Dale... No, not Ian Dale's. Uh, but anybody's desk who would uh, happily pass on old copies. But he apparently tells me now he's over FHM and Zoo magazine. I'm assuming everybody else must be. That's why they've decided to axe them. Can't think of any other reason. I'm Steve Allen. More to come shortly as I look back at some of the highlights from my early breakfast show here on LBC. <laughs> This is Steve Allen with a look back at some of the highlights from my weekday early breakfast show on LBC. Uh, Richard in Newbury says the photo on the, the, the Daily Mail shows one of the Special Forces soldiers. Um, well, I've seen these, uh, these pictures before. I love the way they sort of go... It must be absolutely sweltering inside this thing. Absolutely sweltering. And they say she is the new face of British policing. Um, well, my father used to run the Special Forces Club... <coughs> and I never saw anybody dressed like this at all. But if anybody, if, if anything, they were all perfectly normal looking. She's got a taser, but that's, you know, most police officers have got tasers. Uh, helmet and goggles, capable of withstanding a bullet at close range. Tactical radio with earpiece. Uh, patch with ID number. Uh, extra ammunition. Uh, a Glock semi-automatic pistol. Fireproof overalls in low visibility grey. Gun-mounted flashlight. Padded knees. Uh, a SIG 516 carbine. Red dot gun sight. Kevlar reinforced gloves. Makes you look like Robocop. Incidentally, good news. Those two uh, planes have uh, have landed safely and the crew and the passengers have disembarked. So panic over, as they say. Uh, a lot of people writing to me about Jonah Lomu, who's died at the age of 40. Gareth says, one of my rugby heroes. Very sad. And, uh, and Ben, he says, just as you're leaving for work, I'm coming in from work. Because he does the, uh, the 999 stuff, so he gets the blues and twos. Uh, and Katie goes, wedding panic, giving me insomnia. <gasps> it's always something, isn't it, that gives you insomnia? Oh, dear me. Isn't that the, that's the most dreadful thing. I know what it's like. You're lying there and you think, I can't sleep. And the more you think you can't sleep, the more you can't sleep. The more you want to sleep, the more you can't, because you're worried about sleeping or not sleeping. And then, and then the more you worry about that, the more you sit there. And then again, you look at the clock and you think, I, might as well, I have to get up. I always find if I can't sleep, and it happens very, very rarely, get up, I go and lie in on, the, uh, on the settee and watch a bit of television and doze off that way, always making sure I've got an extra alarm clock in the sitting room. Always have an extra alarm clock. So I've got three in the bedroom. I've never overslept yet. Uh, <clears throat> having said that, that's probably the worst thing I could have said. And one in the, uh, one in the sitting room. And so I was up actually quite early. But it's quite nice just to doze. The dozing bit's good. And then the car turned up this morning. I mean, phenomenally early. Normally I get sort of, you know, about half past, something like that. Eight minutes past he was there this morning. So that's nice because I lie in the back. Well, I say lie, I sort of sit there with my eyes closed, dreaming of the lottery win from last night uh, because I got 
three notifications. And somebody's now going to say, nobody won it last night, which actually doesn't bother me. It means it'll roll to another day and it'll go up even further. Uh, the bookies are raking in a fortune on their, I call them, one-armed bandits. Most of you would call them roulette machines or uh, or sort of card machines or anything like that. You generally find two or three in a bookmaker's. How much do you reckon they make a week? I told you this before. No, nobody believed me. I remember somebody writing and going, don't be so ridiculous. I thought they didn't know anything. 40 grand a week per machine. That's what they take in. 40 grand a week. And all these machines are linked to the country. They're all linked into one central computer. You're not just playing that machine in that betting shop. You're playing the whole country. So, you know, you can be lucky or you can't be lucky. But 40 grand a week each machine can raise, which is not bad going, is it? Well, you think the ones in the pub probably take in, I don't know, £1,000 a week, 40 grand. So if you've got three machines, 120 grand a week, just coming in on the old slots. And you could put credit cards, or you, can, you, you go to the counter and say, oh, I'll put 50 quid on. Somebody, people think nothing but a 50 or £100 in. Nothing, because they're hoping it's going to pay a lot of money. Go to any bingo hall, and the one thing you'll see people queuing for in the interval, because they have an interval, is, uh, is the slot machine. They all queue up for the slot machine. I know that the, uh, the Club for Acts and Artists in Covent Garden, years and years ago, Years and years ago, um, they had a... They've probably still got it. I don't know. I've not been there for a little while. They have um, a slot machine in their bar upstairs in Bedford Street. And uh, after the show downstairs, people would stand there and they'd... Oh, thank you. They'd all... Um, <laughs> they'd all um, put a pound in the machine. So they'd all stand in a big long line. First person put a pound in. If it didn't pay, move aside. Next person does until, until it, it paid some money. And somebody was lucky. And then people think, well, perhaps next time I'll be in the right bit of the line. And I'll get the uh, I'll get the winning pull, as they say. Uh, Stephen Milne, Stephen Milne, he must just be finishing. I should imagine this morning. He must just be finishing. Oh, Pilot Park says, "Gosh, you're on a roll this morning." But um, uh, Steve says, uh, "Can't sleep. I've had a lot of feedback that watching me on late night television can help." <laughs> now I just go to your Twitter page and look at your photos, Stephen. That's all it is. <laughs> uh, so that's why. Actually, who was I watching this morning? I was watching somebody this morning on something. I can't. I can't remember who it was. But I sort of had a, a slight chuckle to myself. Doesn't happen very often in the early hours of the morning. When I do, it's generally standing in the bathroom in front of the mirror naked. And uh, another one here uh, from Alan, who says, "I'm so livid. How many lights you have for your tree this year? Thousand, thousand." A thousand. Yeah, 750 on the other tree, but a thousand lights. Somebody said a thousand. Where'd you get a thousand from? Ask Neil. Neil and I both got a thousand lights. It's w- worth getting. I like it. And uh, uh, I don't like I'm a celebrity, says Gareth. Oh, I didn't say I didn't like it. I just never watch it. I never watch it because I just I just pick up what's been said in the newspapers and sometimes you know the people in there and sometimes you don't know the people in there. If you don't know them, you feel a bit sorry for them, don't you? And I and I do I do watch, you know the sometimes repeats come on. I think oh I I, I will actually watch that. I, I don't mind a, a little repeat. I don't mind finding out. I mean I'm not interested in Lady Colin Campbell. All she is she's an attention seeker. She's a little show off. She's she's nobody important. So so we don't worry about her at all. I, I mean I, I don't think I'm actually worried about anybody in the jungle. Tony Hadley I think will probably do very well because he can he can cope with something like that. And um, and a couple of other people. There's three. Girls in there. I say three girls. One, oh, somebody went in. Who was it they were talking about? One of the girls from Towie, Fern McCann, and try, trying to put a bet on in the um, in the bookmakers. And they said, we're not taking any bets on Fern McCann. And somebody said, why are you not taking bets on Fern McCann? And they said, well, nobody likes her. 
So they didn't bother putting her in there, so she's not included, poor soul. She'll be gutted. Can't wait till she comes out so I can tell her. Uh, and then there was a picture in the paper today of sort of somebody... I don't know who it is, actually, until I, I read the thing. She's 23. Her name's Charlotte Dawson. This is Les Dawson's little girl, who is obviously some sort of cheap glamour model, I think. She's wearing a skirt. I mean, nobody knows who she is. Absolutely nobody. She turns up to a few things... And they went to the uh, the Northwest Awards at the Old Trafford Cricket Ground. They seemed to drag all sorts of people out there. Uh, she joined Kate McGlynn. Remember we had Kate McGlynn on the programme yesterday? We didn't know who she was then. She's apparently in Coronation Street. And uh, and also Jude Sissy. Who's Jude Sissy, for goodness sake? It says former wag. She's 40. Well, she's not in that Made in Cheshire programme, is she? God, blimey. That's like a dog's dinner, that programme. It's dreadful. Anyway, poor old... Uh, Les Dawson's daughter, Charlotte, turned up. Very inappropriate clothing, dear, unless you really want to be taken, you know, for the wrong sort of person. Very sorry about the, uh, the blind girl's danger stick in school ban. And uh, this is a, a little girl called Lily Grace Hooper. She's seven. Uh, her cane was branded a hazard. She's at Hambrook Primary School. And uh, this is Joe Dirt, I think, is the, uh, is the woman who sort of runs it there. And uh, and she's been told you can't use the stick at school because it could trip somebody up, which in theory it probably could, but she's blind. Hello, come on. Goodness sake. Mum says I don't understand it. She hasn't had any problems with any of the other pupils and no parents have complained. It's ridiculous. If you took a walking cane away from a blind adult, would you say that was discrimination? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say the same here. She can only see lights and colours. In uh, one eye, she's got no sight in the right eye at all, and she's just started using this stick. Sarah Murray of Common Sense Cane, the charity that donated the stick, said the decision was absolutely nonsense. Exactly. What a bigoted uh, head teacher or teacher. I mean, why, why would they say this to her? She's blind. She's not using it as some sort of object to sort of go, look at me, look at me. She's using it. They tap them on the ground. And surely at seven, if you explain to the other children in the school that she's blind and that's what she needs to get around and you must help her wherever you can, doesn't that make for better relations? I'm only guessing. I'm just sort of thinking out the box this morning, thinking, how mean, how mean not to be sort of, not to be sort of nice. Uh, Sonia says, here's your Christmas jumpers sorted out. Uh, oh, it's a Prosecco one. No, you've heard about my, my latest Christmas jumper. Very nice indeed. But I, I quite like one that's got Prosecco written on it. I, I, can, I can go for that. I think it's good. And um, I haven't seen EastEnders, so I have no idea, Jenny, that Richard Blackman's gone back in again. I, 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 I couldn't tell you anybody who was in the programme. I couldn't tell you any of the storylines. I'm assuming it will revolve around the Queen Vic. There'll be somebody drunk in there. There'll be somebody saying, get out of the pub. Uh, there'll be somebody who goes to the corner shop and there'll be somebody who sells them some Bombay mix and, and a tin of tea bags or a tin of tea bags. <laughs> if you can get a tin of tea bags. I bet you can. Do you know, I bet you can now. I bet you somewhere there'll be somebody going, of course you can get a tin of tea bags. You're just ahead of the game, Steve. It's like this morning when I got out of bed and I, I tweeted, I said, my shower's calling. And somebody said, only Steve Allen can have a talking shower. I'd like to have a talking... Do like to have a, I had a shower that lit up. I had a, I had a head in the shower that lit up in different colours, depending on what the, what the water uh, temperature was. And the first time you see your body bathed in blue light, it's quite frightening. It's like sort of blue, 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 small icicle. Blue, 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 blue. And that's what it looks like. And then it changes to red, and your body looks much better bathed in red light. Much better. I look much better under a red light, although, frankly, I've never managed to make any money at that game either, so that was out of the, the question. But a talking shower. Do you think there is such a thing? 
Think there might be such a thing. Somewhere, a talking shower. I think that'd be a brilliant idea. I'm Steve Allen, and you've been listening to the best of my shows from the past week. Don't forget, you can listen to me every weekday morning from 4 till 6.30 here on LBC. And you can listen to my free podcast too. I'll be back tomorrow morning with In Conversation from 5 and I'm live from 6 till 8. Coming up, it's Saturday Breakfast with Andrew Pearce. This is LBC.